Okay. Hi, everybody. The podcast is on purpose, and we are your hosts. I'm Dr. John Duffy, and with me is Chicago Tribune columnist Heidi Stevens. Good morning, Heidi. How are you? Hi, John. I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. There's so much going on that we're never going to have time to cover it all. I mean, a half hour is going to fly by. Yes. But um, I'm excited about a lot of it. I mean, this is an exciting week in Chicago. It is. It's Chicago Ideas Week, which I love. It's the Chicago Humanities Fest, which I love. And you are y- deeply embedded in, which I am jealous of. Yeah, well, you're out and about doing your own thing, which is exciting. Yes. I mean, you spoke at Whitney Young last night about your book. So I did. it's also John Duffy and Chicago Week. <laughs> I don't know if that's been trademarked yet. I'm going to trademark that as soon as we're done, though. Work I love on it. that. Yeah, work on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to hear about your talk at Whitney Young. It was just last night. Um, yeah. My week has been a mix of a little of my own talking and also going to see people talk. I did... Monday, get to interview Shannon Watts, which was really cool. How cool. Founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense. God. Yeah, that was really cool. It was a great panel. It was on um, Does Activism Make a Difference? And uh, so she and I were one of the interviews. And then um, there were some um, folks talking about immigration reform and immigration law. And, in that talk? Uh, in that talk, no yeah. Kidding. And then um, the CEO of Edelman talked about sort of corporate responsibility and like how there's actually research now showing that CEOs and companies who go out on a limb and take a stand actually see growth and in their customer base and actually see, you know, biz, uh, benefits to their business yeah. when they do go ahead and like sign an open letter to gun manufacturers calling for background checks and that kind of thing. And and so that was really cool to hear, too. That's really interesting. You, you like to think like, oh, we just want to do the right thing. So, you know, common sense gun laws make sense and we should be all supportive of that, including on the corporate level. But the idea that that somehow fuels the economy and fuels the corporate bottom line that feels right, too. I love that that happens. Yeah. yeah. And we've talked about, you know, Gillette with their yeah. razor ad, you know, that incorporated a transgender kid. And, and we've talked about Nike and endorsing Colin Kaepernick. And, and you know, yes, those are business decisions. And yes, that is, you know, marketing. Um, but I loved his point that, like, yeah, you do that kind of stuff and you lose a client or two. But... You know, you also gain yeah. a lot of business and a lot of trust. And, you know, I think some like um, moral authority, maybe. For sure. Yeah. So that was cool. And then that night I went to see uh, Lori Lightfoot interview Hillary and Chelsea Clinton about their new book, which was super cool to see. Um, just to see those three share a stage. I mean, Politics aside, which is a ridiculous statement to say in 2019, <laughs> but honestly, like if you're going to if you're if you can set aside your politics and and just appreciate the fact that the first black female out mayor of Chicago is on stage with your phone is celebrating. My phone is that. History. The first, uh, you know, female nominee of a major political party, you know, first nominee for president. 
on stage with her daughter. Like, it just was a moment of like, wow, this is cool. And that is a wow moment. It was a wow moment. And Chelsea is no, she is formidable, isn't she? She's totally. And smart and funny. Yes. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. And, and the, the quote that I loved the most from that night was they were talking about their, their new book that they wrote together. And Hillary said, you know, we wanted to highlight women who were by no means perfect, but were gutsy. And they were gutsy on behalf of others. And I loved that because I do think it's really tempting to feel like you have to be flawless if you're going to step out into the public sphere, right? If you're going to have an opinion about something, if you're going to be an activist for something, if you're going to advocate for something, you better have every duck in a row. You better have never sent like a mean tweet. You better not look bad in a photo. You better never like, and I just, it, it, you know, as much as I want us to be, you know, sensitive and, and always working toward better versions of ourselves, I do worry that people feel like they have to be flawless and make no yeah. mistakes if yeah. they're gonna I mean the other day I criticized something about Rudy Giuliani on Twitter and this woman immediately tweeted back like you know divorce is complicated how was yours and it's like well I didn't I wasn't <laughs> okay so I've been divorced <laughs> so I, I guess I can't have an opinion about Rudy Giuliani you know right, what I mean right right it's ridiculous um, it's that that's our cancel culture right now right so I loved hearing Hillary who's lived through no small amount of criticism, some of it fair, a lot of it not, um, say like, look, you don't have to be flawless to be gutsy, especially gutsy on behalf of others. So I really liked that. I took, that was like my big takeaway from that night. I was wondering about the word gutsy when I saw it as the title of the book. And I was worried that they had to thread some needle to avoid sounding either overly masculine or underly feminine Mm. or something, you know, but to hear you talk about it, it feels like the right word. It feels like, Hey, you can have flaws and you can still be gutsy and you can still be brave and courageous and step into the fire and somebody's going to pick on you and you still go. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that. So that was Monday night. Last night I went to see Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor, the New York times reporters who brought down Harvey Weinstein, won a Pulitzer. (laughs) They wrote a book called she said, yeah, uh, that was amazing. That had to be amazing. That was amazing. They I don't, mean, I don't think people understand what these women have have done for all of us. For the, really, right? Yeah, the entire culture and talk people about, don't know their names, right? Yeah, right. Talk about gutsy. Um, and they talked about how you know Harvey Weinstein called. I mean, you know, he had obviously the full weight of the law and all of his millions trying to silence them and get their story canceled and threaten lawsuits into oblivion and. None of it worked, obviously. Um, But they told a story about him coming to the New York Times newsroom, like calling, like, I'm on my way to the New York Times. You know, we're going to have a talk. Like, before this thing published, he knew it was in the offing. Sure. And they were like, yeah, cool. Like, we'll meet you face to face. Like, they were, they kind of relished it. Like, yeah, we want to sit in a room with him and show him that, like, we are not scared of you. Like, bring it. Bring it, Harv. (laughs) That's I, I, I don't want to overuse the word badass, but that is it's pretty awesome. badass. It's pretty badass, yeah. right? I mean, I think I'd be afraid to be in a room with I'd Harvey be Weinstein. I'm terrified alone. of Harvey Weinstein. Oh my God. Then, oh, this Are is... there plants? Are there robes? Right. What, what's in here? Where's the couch? Where's the door? The... Yeah, exactly. Where's my knife? Um, 
Okay, this was the really interesting part, what the whole thing was. But they talked about how it was the night before they were publishing. Uh, they, the story published that brought him down, you know, that opened the floodgates for Me Too and really started this whole thing. Um, October 5th, 2017. So it's been two years. The night wow. before it ran, they're taking a cab back to Brooklyn together, Jody and Megan. It's like one in the morning. They've worked, you know, all night, every night for like six months. And uh, Megan, I think it was Megan, said to Jody, like, do you think anyone's going to read this story? Wow. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. Because they kept hearing during the reporting, like, you guys, this isn't news. Like, this is how Hollywood works. Like, what do you you think it's going to be, like, surprising to people that there's sexual harassment in Hollywood? Like, what do you this is an open secret. Yeah, this is very, very revolutionary of you. People have been talking for years about, oh, Harvey Weinstein raped Rose McGowan. Like, people know all this. Right. Like jokes, like literally in stand-up clubs, right? No one cares. Right. Like, why do you think people are gonna care? So the two things they kept hearing throughout the reporting were like, A, no one cares, and B, like, he's gonna sue the shit out of you guys. Like, what are you thinking? Do you really think anything's gonna happen to Harvey Weinstein? Right. Like, what are you why are you doing this like career suicide that and no one's going to care. And that's really what they thought up until like the night before. And, you know, it turns out obviously it changed, like literally changed the world. That story literally changed the world in a way that will never be unchanged. Um, I mean, there hasn't, it's not like, oh, now there's no sexual harassment. <laughs> I mean, or, you know, that's not, I'm not being Pollyannish, but, you know, we are talking about it in ways that we certainly were not to. Our eyes are open yeah. to it because of that. Right. I watched All the President's Men, Julie and I did about six months ago. And it was very interesting because you see, like, you know, they have to look at phone books and think, you know what I mean, in order to find, like, somebody who yeah. might know something about Deep Throat right. or something, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, their, um, their editor-in-chief was consistently saying to them, guys, nobody's ever going to care about a break-in at the Watergate Hotel. It's not, right. not, nobody gives a shit, even if it happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if you're right. Even if you have it on yeah. tape. Yeah, and here these two <laughs> women have found something that I think probably culturally – is more important, mm-hmm. is bigger, affects more of us in, in, a, in totally. a day-to-day direct way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're the, they're the modern-day Woodward and Bernstein for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was really interesting. I'm going to go see Ronan Farrow tomorrow night. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> I know. This is an embarrassment Are of riches. Are you kidding me? So that's my week. But I also want to hear about Whitney Young. All right. Because that happened you, in, in the middle of this week. And I would have come to see you. Of course yeah. I would have um, if I wasn't seeing Megan too and Jody Cantor. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame you. <laughs> <laughs> but how did it go? Uh, so I spoke at Whitney Young last night, which is a very cool, very diverse, very hip somehow uh, high school in, in the city here. And um, and it was great. It, it was cool. Like the before and after, I think I'm used to hearing me talk. So that yeah. part wasn't that Because you've been talking at a lot of high schools yeah, and I've bookstores. Been, I've, been, I've been doing this rap for a while. Yeah. And so, um, but it was really cool to see all these groups of kids working on these projects and a play. We couldn't get in the theater because kids were working on a, on a play and they were writing it like in real time. Cool. You could see them on stage like, you know, I don't think this part works. And they were revising as they went, which mm-hmm. was, it was just really cool. I love yeah. to see young people who are engaged a lot. And, um, and one thing, my, my son George happened to be there and we both kind of made note of like George grew up out in LaGrange, um, which is a suburb, and it's lily white. And so 
we were both struck by wow, th- this has got got a UN feel to it. This feels very much like the city in every way. Yeah. And all these kids seem crazy about each other. They totally. run up and they hug each other, and it's just kind of awesome. And yeah. they're working in these clusters trying to figure things out in this yes. really, really positive way. I was telling you beforehand, the only graffiti I found of note was in beautiful graffiti curse, cursive, uh, was uh, the suicide hotline, which I think was in the women's bathroom, Julie said, and in the men's room as well. Wow. Yeah, boys' room. That's huge. Right? Picture that. When I was in high school, the graffiti was like, suck my dick. Yeah, fuck off. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, like drawings. Drawings right. of dicks. Brenda's one after the other. Slut and, you know, I mean, it was <laughs> Phone all. numbers. Right. Yeah. Right. Your mother. Me, me, right. <laughs> my mother? No. Um, <laughs> like, but mean-spirited, angry, like, certainly not in service of others. The no. way the, hey, if you're having some suicidal thoughts, call this number. Right. Right. No, That's I mean it's stunning, striking, in such and a good stunning. way, stunning, and um, and you know the 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 quote that was up in the hallway was an inspirational quote from Oprah. Mm. It, it was just it was just um, a lovely night, and it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful place that is kind of perfectly imperfect. Like yeah. you know, like it's kind of messy in the hallways in a way that I kind of love because you can tell all sorts of shits going down right. there all the time. You yeah. Know? And they've and, got more important things to worry about than order and yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And they're engaged. I, I don't know. There was something about every kid I saw and there were it, we were we were there at six o'clock at night. So we're there school's gone. It's out for hours. Yeah. And kids are engaged in something. Nobody's just sitting around, you know, vaping or something like that. Everyone's working on something or talking about something that's meaningful. It was very cool to see. Very cool. And so we had to set up tables and put books on them and stuff like that. Kids were saying, hey, can we help you out? You know, like, what can we do for you? You know, you need need anything on the stage. And a couple kids did set up the stage for us. It was amazing. It makes me feel for the 9,000th time that so many grown-ups are operating with this really outdated playbook about young people now. And I, I wish more adults could have the experience that you just had or that I often have when I go into either one of my kids' schools, yeah. which is that, like, whatever your cliches and stereotypes and memories are of childhood and adolescence, like throw them out. They don't work anymore. You know, they don't work anymore. I wrote about Elaine Welteroth, the former Teen Vogue editor, right? A couple, I guess it was just last week because she was in town. Oh my God. She's also in town this week. This is insane. She's in town this week. She did the keynote at the Chicago Foundation for Women Luncheon. Oh my God. Same week. I know I didn't go because I had something else to do, Um, but I did get to talk to her before she came and wrote about her and she had these phenomenal insights on you know, workplace diversity and inclusion and all sorts of great stuff and how people don't expect bosses to look like her because she's African-American and she doesn't, you know, treat her hair in a way that straightens it and makes it flat against her head. She, you know, it's like gorgeous and huge. And um, she told this funny story about like sitting at shortly after she was named editor in chief at Teen Vogue, she was sitting in a meeting with some people and, you know, they're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And she finally was like, are we waiting? for anybody else to start and the woman next to her said like yeah we just need the editor-in-chief 
And she's like, well, okay, then let's go ahead and get started because people don't expect a boss to look like her. So anyway, she was great. What was I saying? Oh, of course, immediately I start getting emails and comments from people who are like, you know, um, she, you know, how are you praising her? She ran Teen Vogue into the ground. She made it all political. She, you know, what young people care about politics and like what Teen Vogue used to be about beauty and now it's about abortion. It's like, okay. Wake up. <laughs> uh, ding, ding, ding. And, and, and you have no idea of you, that, probably, because right. it really has never been about that, as far as I know. And also, you probably have never read it, but like right. maybe Bill O'Reilly said that or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I fear he may read it. <laughs> yeah, he might. He might. Um, they did cancel the print version of it. So there is a, a kernel of truth in that it's not in its salad days. But like all the other magazines what are. publication is. <laughs> has nothing to do with her. Certainly didn't start or end with her. Anyway, um, I just think over and over I get reminders, you know, usually in my correspondence with readers that um, grownups don't get it. No, grownups don't get it. I was having a conversation with June the other day, like after having a similar experience at her school that you had at Whitney, like we went to this family picnic and all the ki- all the seventh and eighth graders ran around in a giant pack of like gleeful, singing, dancing, joyful, diverse kids. Like they weren't, you know, cloistered in like six different cliques staring right. at their phones. They were all together. The little brothers and sisters were joining them. Like it was just so delightful. And they were all like really happy to be around each other. Yeah. And they wanted uh, to stay, continue to be around each other. Right. right? Yeah. The picnic ended and she's like, can you guys wait in the car? Like, I'll be out in a little (laughs) while. I'm like, you spent all week with these people and now all of Friday night and you're still like ready for more. It was pretty cool. But I was telling you this other funny story that she, that a couple days later, she was looking at her phone and she's like, oh, that I won't say the boy's name. Like, let's let's say Sam. Sure. Sam, um, Sam weighs 70. And I was like, what? Who's Sam? And what do you, what is <laughs> Why do we know his weight at all? Yeah. And she's like, oh, he's our friend. And he, um, he skipped sixth grade. So he's small. He's like the smallest one in our class. And he just left the pediatrician and he finally weighs 70. So he's like Snapchatting us all. And I was like, oh, do people tease him? And she stared at me like I had two heads. Like, no. No. Why would people Why would we do that? He's him. He's our friend. And I was like, oh, just like because he's little. And she was like, no, he's Sam. We love him. No one teases him. I mean, and I was again, I was like, okay, I am operating with this outdated playbook. I'm thinking 80s. I'm thinking John Hughes movie. I'm thinking yes. my high school. Yep. Where if you looked a tiny bit different or didn't wear guest jeans or whatever bullshit, people tease you. And well, I just don't think that is... The reality, that is probably the reality, unfortunately, for a lot of kids right now, but it's also not a given. I think there's plenty of places where, you know, kids are like, I'm not, I have no interest in bullying someone for how much they weigh. I'm not, I don't care what brand your stupid pants are. Right. And and kids sincerely don't care to the point where some kids wear stuff from thrift shops because they want to, because right. they think it's like cool. Oh, and that's it, all June and her friends is shop that right? at is thrift yeah. shops. Yeah. yeah. I kind of love that's that That's what trend. they did for her birthday. Yeah. yeah. They all came over, they walked to the thrift store in Logan, and then they went and got tacos. That was her birthday party. Right. <laughs> um, I, I'm... I'm reluctant for some reason to bring up this story, and maybe you can help me figure out why. But but here, I was talking to somebody who is on a high school school board. Okay. And there was a push to have a bathroom on campus 
that was for the few kids who had who are openly transgender. Okay. And um, this isn't very cost effective, and um, and we think this might cause confusion and upset for some of the other kids. And this is where, and I kind of um, in addressing these couple of school board members that I was talking to at the time, kind of lost my composure because I felt like, boy, if you knew. If you knew a 16-year-old mm-hmm. of any gender, of any preference, you'd know, mm, they'd say, no, make the bathroom for, yeah. the tra- for my transgender friend. I'm not confused or hurt by <laughs> yeah. the presence of that bathroom. It's cool with me. I right. don't think about it. It's Actually, my friend Tim I could or walk Julie. by and use it. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't have a sign that says, like, only no. if you don't subscribe to a gender binary. Are you exactly. allowed to? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, but just the idea of like this is going to cause upset mm-hmm. suggests like oh that's us that's right. our cluelessness right, right? That, adult and, and, upset right yeah but it feels it feels toxic you know what I mean like in a way I feel like our kids have to actively work against our ancient belief systems right you know what I mean instead of like us working with them and listening better learning and, yeah from learning. them yes. that's what I wanted to talk about that Washington Post story with you that somebody posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago everybody was posting it on Facebook a couple weeks ago we were going to talk about it last week and yeah. then we ended up not having time to to record but um that's exactly what I kept thinking while I was reading that. It was a story about um, dress codes and and parents trying to raise their daughters and navigate their daughters' wardrobes in sort of the Me Too era, right? And this so, is the like, one about midriff, right? Yes, <laughs> the midriffs were very controversial. Yes, right. So it's these parents, well-meaning, um, often like even identify as feminists, who are just really struggling with like you know what to let their daughters walk out of the house in that is a fair struggle i'm not i don't mean to be dismissive of that at all but the quotes fell apart so quickly when because the daughters would just poke holes in them like oh so like i shouldn't wear this so i don't get raped it would be my fault if i got raped while i was wearing this and then the mom would be like i know that you can be wearing like, you know, a flannel robe and like a burlap sack with and a down coat on top of it and still get raped. Like, I know that in my head. And yet I'm saying to my daughter, like, what does it say when you walk out of the house? And that, like, parents are, you know, really wrestling with this stuff. And the daughters are just kind of like, the I love, <laughs> it cracked me up when the daughter came down, you know, from a room dressed for the first day of school and the parents were like, you are not leaving the house in that. And she was like, bye. And then left the house in it. And then her dad called her phone and was like, come back here and change. And she goes, okay, misogynist. And oh my God. Right. Like, you know, the parent in me is like, no, get back there and change. But then the like feminist in me is like, yes. The you know? clash and is with the, our generation, the right? Clash it's with the, with, the, with right. the moms and dads. We're wrestling the kids with aren't the, conflicted. the kids are like, I'm not wrestling with anything. Open the stinking transgender bathroom. What's your problem? Like, <laughs> right. let me show my midriff. What's your problem? Yeah. So, like, I do think, obviously, you know, we can all learn from each other and we have wisdom and perspective that they should hear and they're listening to. But I do think, you know, by and large, like, they're leading and we probably should follow. And listen a lot more because you're right. Everything is different now. And by and large, if you're objective about it, way better. 
Yeah, way you know, better. Way better. You know, the, the idea, um, I was talking about this last night with some parents after the, the talk, and people were talking about, like, um, we're worried that bullying is happening behind our back somewhere. And my point to them was, bullying might not be happening that much. You know, like we talk about online bullying, and I know that's a phenomenon. I know that happens sometimes. But the bullying that happened when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of I remember mm, and this is a hard memory to conjure. um, There was a boy in our class who was who ended up acting on Broadway before Mm -hmm. he passed away, um, who was gay Mm -hmm. and everyone just made fun of him because he was gay. And this was his only this was his thing, you know, and but he was brilliant, Mm -hmm. but nobody really focused on how brilliant he was. So he was roundly bullied by a lot of people. And and I'll be honest with you, I can't I assume I wasn't that kid, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I think maybe I've blocked that out or. I said it because everybody else said it or right. something like that. Or I didn't fear participate that I did that. and that felt like enough. Yeah, I mean, for that sure was, that. Yeah, that yes. was me in high school often. I don't think I picked on anyone and I also don't think I was an upstander. Right. I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not going to be one of those mean kids. Right. I'm also not going to walk over and put my arm around the kid who's being picked on and say, hey, cut it out. Yep. Which I'm ashamed of now. I hope... I mean, now, of course, as an adult, I would do that. But, you know, I hope if I were a kid growing up in 2019, I would be better. I'm yeah. ashamed of myself for not doing more and being more as an adolescent. And I think kids today are. Right. Oh, for sure. I, I worked um, about a year ago with a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old. I won't be much more specific than that. And their parents. And um, And the dad said something like, you know, Oh, that's just gay. And the kids were like, hey, you know what? Really, we'd appreciate it if you wouldn't say that. Yeah. He's like, well, you know what I mean. You know, like, I'm just, like, I yes, don't mean gay, gay. You? <laughs> you're like, kind of playing that whole thing up, you know, right. like, you know. And the kids are like, no, we have friends who are gay. That's mean. There's no point to it. Yeah. You pick a different word. It's, it's not, not that hard, insult. right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's just funny. They're like, it's I not- don't get what, and literally the kids are like, we have pretty good senses of humor. We're way funnier than you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and we can't find the funny in that. Right. Like, you know, you could probably find something funny to say. Right. This isn't it. Yeah. That Pick one, a better lane. Don't miss the mark, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I kind of love that. I mean, and, and maybe you and I are overly connected with, with kids now. Um, but I'll take that any day. Yeah. And, you know, and I do think that there's more right going on in this generation. In a way, I find myself, if I'm being honest, kind of like as I look at what's gone on. So we're talking about all this good news in Chicago this week. Yeah. But nationally and politically, it's been kind of a mess, you know, like and, and you, keep it, you think it's you think every week is the worst possible week mm-hmm. and then the next week's worse, you know, yep. and it keeps devolving. Yeah. And yet I look toward this generation and I think, come on, you guys, get yeah. old faster. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just get old enough to run for something. <laughs> right. Vote and run for office. Right, right, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Well, um, I just thought of another thing that was happening in town this week while um, just north of town. But the grown and flown authors. Oh my God! Were I love I, I they were they spoke at fan at the fan action right. network last night. And New Trier. And I so I love them. I have a little. I have a funny thing going with uh, with uh, the two of them because um, we both 
published books at about the same time. Yeah. And they're they're sitting right above me on the Amazon uh, rankings. And I'm like, so I've written them a couple times and said, I'm coming. I'm going yeah. to figure out a way. <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know what they did, Heidi? They put out a list of the books you should be reading if you have a teenager right now. And they put me at the top of the list. Aww. So now I, I know. So I can't even be like, oh, now we're, we're, in, we're in a battle. Oh, we're in a no battle. They're acting like children. My they're God, being all nice. That's so with passive aggressive, and... you guys. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So tell well, me about tell me about what you did you see them? No, because it was last night. Oh, and right. I was at Megan Tui and Jody Cantor, or I would have been at your thing. They were third on my list. Okay. <laughs> you were number two. Um but I interviewed them before they came last week, and I just want to say, and this will be a nice closing because I think we've talked for like a half hour now, but um, I loved, first of all, they are big fans of parents and children staying sort of hyper-connected and yes. talking all the time and your kids coming to you for advice on everything from romance to finances to career. Um, Should we which, talk about what Grown and Flown is for a second? Yeah, before? sure. Yeah. Grown and Flown, yeah. they When their kids were in high school and college, they felt like there was sort of a dearth, right, of parenting advice and parenting manuals, and it sort of all dried up once your kids got to, like, 15. Right. So they started this website that turned into a huge community that now is a book. Massive network. So yeah. if you had a question about what was going on with your teenager or your young adult, you could you could float that on their group on Facebook and you will get um, 200 replies yeah, that, that, that are useful. Yes. It's and really it's cool. parents of kids in the 15 to 25 year old range, right. I think is what they've kind and of identified. And Mary might weigh in, right? You know, they yeah. might weigh in themselves and it's really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So they they really think that it's a good thing that our kids keep turning to us into their 20s and beyond um, because, you know, that rich closeness is is beautiful. And also because, you know, we have some experience in some of these things and, yeah. you know, versus turning to another person their age who doesn't have a lot of experience to draw on. Right. And um, so we talked about that and how the term helicopter parent is sort of unfairly thrown around as an insult and. And um, one of the points that I really loved that I think Mary Dell made was that, um, you know, we know our kids as adults for a lot longer than we know them as kids and adolescents, right? Uh, right? So they're a little, you know, they're little kids and then they're teenagers and then they're grown. And God willing, if we stay alive and they stay alive, you have decades and decades and decades together where you're both adults. And that can really be lovely and it can be a friendship and there can be camaraderie and you can turn to each other's confidence and um, not be telling them what to do, but be like, you know, asking them what they want to do. And they can be asking you what you think they should do. And, and it can just be less of an authority figure and an underling sort of setup, and more of like just these two people who love each other. Love and each other, mutually supportive of each other. It, it can turn out beautifully for sure. And that chapter lasts the longest. It's the most number of years. Yeah. And it's like when she said that, I was like, duh. And also like, huh, never thought of that the tumultuous part is a blip yeah 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 so i loved that that like got me through the weekend thinking about that yeah, yeah. no I, I i love that concept too um i think about that a lot like when i work with families i always think like w what are we looking at long term and i mean 
not just like getting to college. What do you picture like 20 years from now? Yeah. How do you want this to feel? You right. know, do you really, is it worth whatever battle you're fighting now for animosity then? And we all know families where, you know, animosity lingers for decades, right? We're just and, distanced. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And even it's like, a lack of animosity because you're just not even close enough to have that in there. Exactly. And, you know, as a, um, as the parent of a now 24-year-old man, I will say that uh, George came to my talk last night, and he helped Julie sell books. And um, that guy now is probably my best friend. And mm-hmm. I know, oh, you're not supposed to be friends with your kids. Screw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we have fun every day. We were probably he, There's probably a text on my phone from him about something interesting or something funny, and he's a fascinating human being. And the idea of not being connected with him in this way yeah. is devastating. Yep. You know? So yeah. I want every parent to have that. I totally. want you to have that. And every kid. Yeah. Yeah. Because June is 10 years younger exactly than George. Isn't that funny? We I... discovered that like by posting happy birthday Facebook posts to our kids. Literally 10 years. Yeah. Same yes. day. Amazing. I know. That is so crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So happy belated birthday to George. Yes. And I will begrudgingly yeah. say, yeah, you should probably read Grown and Flown. Yes. After your book. <laughs> after my book. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> there's not actually that much overlap. It's no, not like not. one or the other. No, no, no. no. That, yeah. That's a uh, that that that's a that's a really actually kind of a fun read. I think. You yeah. Know? yeah, and it's very um, well. Yeah, it is a fun read, and I and it's um, kind of a to do list, right? It like, is. You know, before you launch your kid and knowing that you don't really launch your kid in the traditional way that you used to, like right. they're going to still call you every day. Yeah. Um, and they might, they might show up at 26 and say, man, I got to move back in. I'm right. going to grad school now. Right. But still, with that in mind, you know, you are still sending them off to college or trade school or something after high school, probably. Right. Um, or you're going to leave them home alone while you go to work and they're still living in your house after high school. Um you know, here are the things to teach them. It's 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 a little bit of like ABCs. Yeah. Um, I don't mean in a juvenile way, but I mean in a like, it, you know, it's kind of a roadmap. Yep. Agreed. So uh, embarrassment of riches here in Chicago totally. this week. And yep. it continues. We'll probably have more to say about this in a week. I, I, I think. Guess. Well, yeah. I'm going to yeah. go see Ronan Farrow between now and then. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> yeah, the teachers are on strike. Yes. So we're going to have to talk about that. I might have right. to bring my kids with me next week. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to bring we'll him in here. Special, special guest. We have June and Will interviews. Oh, my God. Oh, that's possible. <laughs> Anything's possible. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great one.